Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello there and welcome to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life. Today is episode 719. We've been doing this for a long time. And the purpose of this podcast is to help you create that life of purpose, prosperity, and joy. And this is the place to come to get that encouragement and ideas. Today we have a special guest, Margaret Dennis, who is a women's empowerment counselor and does a lot of work with grief. And I'm not going to pretend to describe her work because I would screw it up. Welcome to the show, Margaret. Oh, thanks so much, Kellen. It's nice to be here today. Thanks for the invite. You are welcome. And the reason I invited you, we met, I think, through a, a lunch club or something. How did we meet? I think it was through Lunch Club. Yes, yeah, so we met club. in a, a Lunch Club, if you guys don't know, is an AI-powered platform. Check it out if you want to meet people. Been on it for about a year and a half to just meet people all over the place. And you fill out some stuff, and they match you. And we were matched together. And I was really excited about the work she did and about who she's being in the world, helping people overcome challenges uh, of both self-belief stories and in as a specific area of grief. So um, the first question I want to start with, Margaret, is just a simple one. We hear all this hype online about, uh, you know, live the life of your dreams and do what you love and the money will follow and da-da-da and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of it's by hucksters that are trying to sell you dreams and crap. And, but at the end of the day, the, 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 the question is, this old idea of living... A life where you're really satisfied and happy, the ultimate life of purpose, prosperity, and joy. Do you think that's possible or it's just hype? Oh, I think it's definitely possible. Um, oh, we are born with the ability to make choices. We are born with the ability to be intentional. And I think a lot of what I do with the work that I do, um, I work primarily with women and helping them figure out what it is that they want in their life to get them to that place. And what choices do they need to make? What actions do they need to take? Is it always easy? No. Um, does it take a lot of hard work? Yes. It takes a lot of commitment to getting where you want to go. But I think ultimately it is possible. Um, I think anyone who's coming out and saying it's going to help, you know, overnight, by the next week, you're going to be here, here, here is definitely selling you a load of not good stuff, <laughs> but sure. um, I think if you are really determined to have the life that you dream of and the life that you want, it, anything's possible. Why, why do you think it's so common, and as a coach, I'm sure you'll know this, that we're all stuck believing these stories about ourselves or about what's possible, and it seems to always be opposite of what we as coaches see as true and real possibility. Why, why is that so prevalent so everywhere why do you think that is i think it's a lot of the stories that we're brought up with as kids right we start it's we start getting you know we start telling ourselves stories right from day one 
you know, when, when someone says, Oh, you know, you got, especially <laughs> you be quiet, don't talk up, don't tell your, you know, don't say what you think, don't think what you feel. And as you get, you know, there's the stories about you just have to get a job to get money. You need to be secure. You need to be responsible. There's all these stories that we get told through the media, through our family, and that we eventually start telling ourselves is that, you know, um, I have to do these things. I need to do these things, or I'm not these things because I was told I was stupid when I was younger. I was told that, you know, that's just a pipe dream. You're just living in the clouds. There's no way that's possible for you. And so you have all these people telling you these things, you start believing these things yourself. And then the idea of actually believing that it's true becomes something almost impossible for people to leap and, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And especially when we're dealing a lot with the idea of not being good enough. And I find a lot in my coaching, there's people who say, I'm really struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. And then when you dig down deep enough, the underlying feeling for a majority of people is I'm not good enough. And that is a big, huge hurdle. And I honestly, Kellen, I'm not sure where that comes from, but it is prevalent across our society. Well, let's dig into that a little bit because I agree. Not good enough. I, I, I write music, you know, and one of the songs I wrote that go with the book Tightrope of Depression uh, is a song called uh, Anthem of Sorrow. And in the chorus of that t t song, I talk about uh, the story of not good enough right mm -hmm. which which we live in and you know you said ah oh, society and people and your family and that you can't not uh, are all these people just hating us and so they're telling us these stories that we're not good enough or or do they believe them too i think there's an underlying sense of fear i think our limbic brain our reptilian brain sees anything that is unfamiliar outside of our comfort zone, something that we can't guarantee an outcome to as a threat. And so the people around us also react that way too, right? It, it brings up fears in other people of, well, what if you fail? And what if you do something that might impact me? Or there's, there's underlying fear everywhere that is subconscious that we're not even fully aware of all the time. And uh, understanding where that comes from is important too. And I think the fear plays on people saying, no, don't do that. Play it safe. You, you know, do what you already know how to do. And, and why would you want to take that risk? We find that a lot with people going into business for themselves. Quite often it's the people in their professional circle who are supportive and their family and friends are not because there's more of an emotional attachment and they see that, oh my goodness, they're taking this big risk and we're worried about them and we're feared, fearful for them. And so they say the negative things that are not always the most supportive. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally 100% agree with you. And I experienced that myself. And I know a lot of people that, that do. I mean, I was absolutely told flat out, you need to get a job, go do the corporate climb the ladder thing. And I sold my soul and believed that myth. And it created the kind of drama in my life that we talked mm -hmm. about before. And so uh, we are told that, and I don't think it was with evil intent, but I think you're right. Fear, fear, fear that mm -hmm. you will, f so you, a loved one loves you, they're afraid you're, you're gonna fail. And they might be, if you said something interesting, it's fail, your failure might affect them. 
either it looks bad for them because they're part of the family or you're the black mark on the balance sheet or somehow you'll call on them for help or whatever because you'll screw up. So in your in your women's empowerment work, what is it, two or three things maybe, that the women that you work with, beautiful, capable, wonderful women, what are they most afraid of? What is that deep fear? Two or three of them, I'm not trying to, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, you, that, that shows up, that just makes your heart ache when you see it so uh, much. What is that? Yeah, there's a huge fear of being rejected and not accepted for what they want to do. Uh, a big fear of being judged. And there's a huge fear of failure. Like these are really big fears that surface for these women. What do you think happens? Let's say when people say that to me in my coaching work, I'm going to be judged. I'm afraid of that. I, I just take that head on. You're right. You are. There are going to be a whole pile of people that think you're stupid, wrong, and that you suck. Yeah. Okay. Then what? Mm-hmm. So judge and failure, same thing. You're going to fail. Okay, good. Let's get that out of the way right now. That is true. <laughs> it's going to happen. So we're done with that one. Why do you suppose those fears of rejection, and I have a speech about that one too, but I won't give it. <laughs> you know, why do you suppose they are so powerful to us when we get right down to it? We know that someone's rejection isn't actually going to stop your heart. You're not going to die. What is it that gives that such power? We give it power. We believe it, right? And so we believe that story. We believe um, what our subconscious is telling us. And we, if we have any ounce of anything in our previous history that supports that, we will cling to it. Um, and I think what the key is, is going in and facing those fears. I have the women in my, in that I coach actually personify the fear, give them a name, give them a face, make them separate from you. And all of a sudden their power is like diminished because now they're a separate entity. And so then you can have a conversation with this fear. It's like, well, what are you trying to protect me from? What is it that you're really afraid of? Like, what is the positive for this fear? When you start looking at what is that fear actually bringing to me, it's protecting them, right? It's protecting them from getting hurt. It's protecting them from, you know, and the, uh, the emotional hurt too, right? And women, we're extremely emotional beings. And we are, we're born to be the nurturers. We're born to be the, the one, the, the gatherers and the, you know, the ones that keep everyone together. But when we're trying to move forward, especially as an entrepreneur, we're trying to forge into an area that isn't necessarily an area that we've been, <laughs> you know, it's a solo area. It's outside of that gatherers and those nurturers and, and we're moving forward into that. It's a scary place to go, especially when you don't necessarily have the support. Um, that support is so yeah. critical. I love it. It really I'm- is. I love, I love, I just need to dig into something you said because I love mm-hmm. it so much. That idea of personifying and talking to it, it reminds me of a situation where I had, I, I must have been a three or four hour extended walk one morning. And I was, you know how he, I have a client that calls that meeting in his head, the committee in my head, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. And I was just feeling these different feelings of do it, don't do it, try this, what are you afraid of, all that stuff. And so finally, 
I had a whole drama unfold on the stage of my mind, and I put it in a theater, and it was the Oscars, and people were getting awards, and you know, I and I called all these things up on stage, and and applauded them, and one of them I gave the name of the protector, which is what, and I did it because that's what they kept talking about, and what surprised me, and this is where I said I loved what you said about having a dialogue. When I asked the protector questions and and allowed some stillness, answers came that surprised me. It was like, 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 I understand it's all us, but it was like the other voice giving voice to those things. And going through that exercise, even though it took several hours, has been long-term beneficial. So I love what you said about about giving voice to, facing, understanding those things. What changes when you, when you finally get a definition of what it's protecting you from, you acknowledge that it's trying to do good for you instead of hating you, which is a mm-hmm. huge shift because we want to get rid of it if we just like, you know, come here, come on, come on, come on stage, come on here, let's talk. What do you want? What are you trying to do? Instead of making it an evil thing. So I love that about what you said. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting when you dive into it and you have your clients really have this conversation with their fear. And I also have them lean into their fear. Like fear is a scary emotion. So I really have them sit and feel it. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you can sit and really feel your fear, the power it has over you also goes away. Because then the feeling, you felt it and you've lived through it. And it's like, huh, that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And then from there, you can move forward and say, okay, so you're afraid of rejection. or You're afraid of failure. failure. Let's look at what's the worst case scenario. And let's make a plan for that. How are you going to react if that happens? And so when you start planning for the fear... <laughs> Nine times out of 10, it doesn't even happen. But that plan and that idea of, okay, if I fail, then I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And if I get rejected, this is how I'm going to react. That also gives the control back to the person as well. Like so they I wanna, feel like they're bringing back control to what their reactions can be. I love it. And there's two things I want to mention. I love the way you're approaching it and how you're teaching people because I, I had a I can't tell the story because it would take too long, but a, a stormy departure from the industry I was in because of some personal things. And then about five or six or four or five years later, I was asked to come back and speak at a conference uh, that was in that industry. And it was in the area where I'd lived. And I thought, holy crap, this could be rowdy. And I was the keynote speaker. I wasn't just going to speak. I was like the dude. I'm like, ooh. And the guy who was organizing the conference knew me, and he knew that I had chops and I had something to add. But anyway, I was mortally terrified. Mortally. Because, and for good reason. I mean, there had been a lot of things that I thought, holy crap. So I was working with my coach at that time, and I told him, look, I'm just, and we were on the phone. And I said, I'm, I'm driving up to... It didn't matter where, but anyway, so he asked me that very question. He said, okay, well, I understand it's mortal fear and you're terrified. What's the worst thing that can happen? And I thought, okay, what is the worst thing that could happen? 
And I thought, well, if I'm up there speaking, I could get heckled. They could throw things at me, throw tomatoes at me. They could yell and scream and try to embarrass me. And so I summarized it all by recalling the French Revolution. Said they could chase me out of the room with pitchforks and torches, Mm -hmm. essentially, right? And then he did just that. He said, okay, good. Let's assume that happens. You're now in the hallway. You have been chased out with pitchforks and torches. Your heart's in your throat, and you are completely disgraced and dismissed. What are you going to do? And I said, well, um," I was just like doing the whole drama in my mind. I thought, well, go back to the hotel, and, you know, that'd be the end of that. And he said, are you going to get up in the morning? Uh, yeah. And he said, what are you going to do after that? No, I'm going to go back it was a f- a miles from where I was living then. I said, I go back home and, you know, keep doing what I'm doing, which is building a coaching practice, doing other stuff. And he said, well, you know, will, will you be okay? Will the sun come up? Will all this stuff? And as we walked through, I thought that was funny because the answer is, of course I will. And I, in the body, I viscerally experienced just what you're talking about, that thing. And I literally imagined what is, I didn't think they would kill me. No one would bring a gun to the conference. <laughs> so the pitchforks and torches was as bad as I could imagine. And I viscerally participated in that, doing what you're saying. And so I'm saying that for the benefit of our listeners, that what she's saying is absolutely true. And it's something that my coach at the time, this was many years ago, took me through to uh, think through those very fears that you're having. So that's uh, exactly, I've had exactly that experience and it was interesting. So I have another question. So here's a question to go in. And that is... I define that ultimate life as a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy that we create by serving with our divine gifts. That's what I define the ultimate life is. It's the life I live, life I love, and life I help people reach if they want to. How would you define that an ultimate life for Margaret? What is that for you? Uh, For me, my ultimate life is one that has balance, passion, and purpose. So a life where, you know, balance is something individual to every person, right? You have to figure out what balance is for you. And for me, balance is spending time with my daughter, uh, spending time with my family and my friends, laughing, taking care of myself, self-care, but also working at what I love. And that passion piece is what brings me joy, like what makes my heart just warm up and light up and what can I get lost in for hours and incorporating that into my life, into my week, into my day is so important that it helps fill me up and who I am, right? It fills up your cup. There's that saying, you know, put your oxygen mask on first, but doing things that you're really passionate about is amazing. And then having purpose in my life is also really important to me. Because I like to know that I'm working towards something that's bigger than me. And so I've actually been really lucky and be able, have been able to create all of that in my life through being my own boss and having my own business where I set the hours, I set the time, but I am passionate about what I do. And so it doesn't feel like work. <laughs> and it also fills me up while I'm doing it. And then I get to continue in the outside, you know, outside of my career in my personal life to be able to bring all of that together. And even my, I think my daughter is like my biggest champion. She always says, mom, you always look like you're having so much fun and you're enjoying what you're doing. And I said, I am. 
but I get to show up as the best person I can be for her too. And it's, uh, yeah, to me, having those three things really is important and something that I strive for and something that I help my clients reach So, well. so then you've answered my next question, which is, I've sort of answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. We talk about that ultimate life, and often when I ask that question, people talk about things they don't have yet, and they talk about that thing out there. I'll be happy when I have this much money, or this gets over, or COVID's over, or I stop being sick, or I have a better job, or the mortgage is paid off, or, you know, who cares? Whatever it is, mm-hmm. big, long list of something. And what you've told me is that you, the question is, do you believe it's possible to achieve that ultimate life. Yes, 100%. And you do because you said you've achieved that. <laughs> You're living that life, and mm-hmm. I love that. So I want the listeners here to understand that. One of the reasons I was attracted to ask Margaret to be on the show is because it was clear to me that she was passionate. She had a, a mind to help people and help them in a profound and meaningful way. It's easy to say, well, I'm gonna help somebody, you know, da da da. And I'm not downplaying that. Service is good no matter how you do it. But I am saying it was it was just clear to me that she had the passion and the desire to share it and encourage. And so I like having as many of these stories as I can because I want you to understand you can have your ultimate life. Define it any way you want. You can have it. You just have to be willing to walk that road. Mm-hmm. Margaret, I want to ask you now about another piece of your work that you do. I know that you specifically talked about grief, which shows up in all kinds of weird ways. You know, when big changes happen, we grieve the change, even though we don't call it that. It doesn't just have to be death, you know, loss of a job, some big change in your life, all kinds of stuff. And my lack of understanding about grief caused me all kinds of grief in my in my life earlier and so i want you to talk a little bit about how two things how did you get to the point where that's a big deal for you and then i want you to talk about how we can recognize when grief is the the mourning a loss grief Mm -hmm. is is playing a big role okay okay so how did i get here um well that story is a very personal one um i had twins about 14 years ago a boy and a girl and my son survived uh three days and my daughter survived and was in hospital for six and a half months so i had them very very early they were born at five and a half months so i became a brand new mom after six years of infertility so you know having twins was very exciting for us because we thought well now we're having two um but to have two children a boy and a girl and then to lose your son and have a daughter, I had to become both a grieving mom and a brand new mom. And so my experience with grief was uh, very unique um, because it's very difficult to grieve and love at the same time. Um, So I buried my grief. Like I I focused on my daughter. She was, you know, she was my 24-7 and always was. But I, as she was growing up, I would always talk to her about her brother and so that she would know that she had one. And as she grew up, I watched her deal with grief as well. And last year, I had the honor of doing a TEDx talk. And I spoke about my, you know, what I learned about grief through the eyes of my child. And what I learned is that children grieve so authentically and honestly and in such a healthy way. They express their emotions. They don't suppress them. 
they haven't been impacted by society's expectations about, you know, making other people uncomfortable. They're just free. And they ask a whole lot of questions for clarity and understanding. And my daughter in particular was just one of the strongest people I've ever known. Like she, she's just this warrior. And I talk a lot about her in, in my speech, but what I looked at when I, so when I started writing the speech for this, I did a lot of research into grief and realized that there is so much, like we just don't talk about it. Grief isn't acceptable as an emotion to talk about in public. You can be at work and say, oh my God, I'm so stressed. I'm so burnt out. I'm so tired. And people are like, woohoo, way to go. You're working hard. But you go in there and they'll say, how are you? And you say, I'm so sad. And people are like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I don't want to hear about that because that makes me uncomfortable. It makes me feel vulnerable because it could possibly happen to me. Again, it's that reflection, right? And so I, I realized that I started to become really passionate about educating people around grief and opening that conversation and making it okay for people to talk about grief. And we don't talk about it in our North American society, right? We shuffle people off to therapy. We shuffle them off to bereavement groups because then we don't have to see it. We don't have to deal with it. Work gives you three days to grieve and then they want you back at work being the same person that you were before your husband died or your child passed away or your house burnt down or there's just so much misunderstanding about grief and how it shows up. And so I started writing about it and I started educating and I've created a workshop around it to help people navigate the ins and outs of grief and understand that, like you said, Kellen, it, it isn't just a death, right? Grief comes from any loss uh, or change. It could come from becoming a mother, right? Because then you were without a child. Now you're with a child. It could be when you get married, you are single and now you're married. You kind of grieve that single life. And when your kids go off to university and college and you have the empty nest, right? There's the excitement about your kids growing up, but there's that grief around the loss. So it could be associated with a positive event, but it could also be associated with a negative. It could be as much as I didn't get that promotion or associated with domestic violence. It could be associated with being bullied at school as a kid. And what happens is over our lifetime, all these little incidences of grief that we don't always recognize as being sources of grief compound and build up inside of us because they stay in the body. They stay in the body. And unless we acknowledge them and we feel them, we have to release the feelings like we do, like I talked about previously about release, you know, I'm really leaning into the fear and feeling it. It's the same thing with grief. You need to lean into the feeling. You need to release it. It's, it's going to hurt. It's going to really hurt in some cases, but you have to let it out or it compounds over time. And then that starts showing up as stress, depression, anxiety, short temperedness, exhaustion, eat, you know, loss, losing weight, gaining weight, all kinds of things that people start, you know, trying to treat the symptoms. But if you dig deep enough, there is quite often a layer of grief attached to it. Uh, so for me, I've really stepped into the grief education space as well. And I do some coaching. I find that with the women that I'm coaching, quite often if we dig deep enough into some of the issues, grief does come too. So I do grief coaching with them as well. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if I answered both questions. You answered that, fabulously. <laughs> you did good and you gave us some good thoughts and feelings. And what I'm taking away is it's okay to grieve. Expect it, treat it, and I don't care if people around you understand or not. And if you don't know how to grieve, then get a hold of Margaret or read a book <laughs> or do something. Like, don't hide it, don't pretend it away. And the, 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 one of the most important things that she said 
applies to more than grief, and that is feelings. They're, they're neurochemistry, okay? okay? They, they're just they're neurotransmitters in our body, and if we, if we ignore them, if we don't process them, you know, there's different ways of people describing it, that, you know, but the energy becomes stuck, or you know, she said it compounds, it piles up, it hides in shadows, and it might not make sense to you, but we don't really have the language to describe what happens, you know, it just becomes that dirty pile in the corner, for lack of a better description. It infects your life. It colors the glasses through which you look at life. If you live in a lot of fear, if you don't process grief, if you live in a lot of anger, all of those things just color the lenses. And so she talked about feeling feelings. That doesn't mean you do everything that comes in your mind. If you're mad, you want to smash something. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But that has nothing to do with feeling the feeling and say, yeah, I'm feeling that. Wow. It's an intense feeling. And then you let it process. And that right there is a fabulous, fabulous thing. So I want you to tell our people uh, specifically how to get in contact. Have you written a book? I'm in the process of writing a book. It's not quite done yet. <laughs> All right. So you'll be looking for that book. Do you have an idea of when it'll be out? Uh, it should be out this fall, 2022. Yep. Okay. This fall. Fall starts in 21 days. So be a little yeah, more be specific. It'll be a, I would say let's look at November. To be okay, good. So, I, I, yeah, I'm a coach, and so I'm pushing a little bit. Uh, so yeah. look in November for Margaret's book. Do you know what the name will be yet? Uh, I think it's going to be called The Empowered Grief Warrior. The Empowered Grief Warrior. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. So I want you to look yep. for that because this woman's had a lot of experience, personal. And that personal, I call it blood on the floor. Blood on the floor experience is the thing that really teaches us when we go through it and allows us, if we want to, and, and are willing to share powerful things to help those around us, which is what the coaching business is. I call it the people encouragement business. Anyway, uh, yeah. so look for that book. How would somebody find you if they wanted to talk about your TEDx talk or your grief work or anything? Uh, there's a couple of ways they could go to my website. So my company's name is Evolve Coaching. No E. It's Evolve Coaching. So the website is www.evolvecoaching.com. Or you could email me directly at margaret at evolvecoaching.com. And those would be the best ways. You can also find me on LinkedIn under Margaret Dennis. Uh, two N's. <laughs> D-E-N-N-I-S. Yeah, and that Evolve, E-V-O-L-V. -E -E no second E, Evolve Coaching. And uh, yeah. that's great. I like that name, Evolve Coaching. It's a nice name. Well, I want to thank you. Do you have last words of genius, wisdom, comfort, or encouragement for our listeners today? I would just say believe that what you want is out there and that you are worth it. You're worth it. I would second that. Believe what you want is out there because it is. This is not just a bunch of hype. What you want is out there. And the question where most people st stumble is, are my worth it? And the answer is a resounding yes. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Margaret, for being on our show today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been delightful, and you are very welcome. So, listeners, I want you to go back through this. There's been a lot of really good stuff that Margaret gave us today. And in the context of creating your own life.
of purpose, prosperity, and joy, or whatever three words you'd use, balance, passion, and purpose. Whatever words describe that, I want you to know it's available. And this episode and the others are all here for you to help you learn how to create your ultimate life. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart in the sky.